Well, good morning, church. Please open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5, and preschoolers are dismissed to their class. Everyone else, Galatians chapter 5, we're picking things up in verse 16 this morning. Well, over, uh, over 10 years ago, before having kids, Brittany and I were asked to house sit for an aunt and uncle. And the reason that they needed someone to house sit was because they needed someone to dog sit their three dogs. Uh, now, I like dogs. Uh, Britt sort of likes dogs. Um, and the dog sitting, uh, this is how it went. Uh, well, I won't tell you exactly how it went. I'll tell you this. Ten years later, we still do not have a dog, okay? So that gives you a little flavor of how it went. But, but while we were dog-sitting, we took the, the dogs out for a walk, and Britt had one, and I had the other two. And one of the dogs that I'm holding the, the leash of, I mean, he's just, he's going. He's ready to go. He's just pulling me along, ready to get, get around the block and get back to the house. Um, and he's, he's full of energy, just pull, pulling me along. The other dog, in my other hand, though, is a bit distracted, and he's being a bit difficult. He's, he's biting at my shoelaces and ankles, and he's, he's stopping to smell everything along the way. Um, about halfway into our walk, at the furthest point from the house, he decides he's just done with walking. Like, he's, he's I didn't know this, dogs had this option, but on a walk, they can just decide at some point that they're not going any further, and they're just going to sit down, and so the rest of the way, I'm either dragging him or carrying him back home, um, all the while trying to walk this other dog. So keep, keep that picture in your mind this morning, uh, one dog pulling me along, the other dog fighting me and biting me and frustrating me all, along, all the way around the neighborhood. That's the picture that you need to have as we go through Galatians chapter 5. Because God is going to show us in these verses that we've got two powerful desires at work in our lives pulling us in different directions. We've got the, the sinful part of our flesh, the part of us that as human beings have a propensity to, and desire to sin and to rebel against God. That's the part that's biting at our ankles and making us carry heavy, heavy weights and just feel like we're dragging through life. But then for followers of Christ, we also have the Holy Spirit who is propelling us forward, onward and upward, further up and further in. Last week, we learned from Pastor Kevin about our freedom in Christ. But in verse 13, Galatians 5.13, if you, if you look back at that verse, Paul says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, our sinful flesh is always telling us to look to other things other than Christ to save us and satisfy us. But the main point of this morning's sermon can really be found in verse 16, where God gives us a command and then follows that command with a glorious promise. And so to start out today in this sermon, let's, let's read this together because this is really what all the rest of the verses are all about. So read this with me. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's keep that up on the screen for just a moment. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? 
That's what we'll be looking at this morning. Paul's going to answer that question by first showing us that to walk by the Spirit means to struggle with sin and not surrender to sin. Then we'll see what walking by the Spirit looks like when the works of the flesh start rising up and and wrapping around our hearts. And we're going to look at what those underlying desires are that drive us to look to other things other than Christ to save us and satisfy us. And then finally, we'll see the fruit of the Spirit. We'll see what the, the Spirit desires to grow in us and how we can crucify the power of the flesh and connect to the life-giving power of the Spirit. But before we jump in, let's, let's pray. Father, you have the words of life. And so help us now to hear them, to believe them, and to obey them. Spirit, we desire to see Jesus. And we ask by your power that you would give us eyes to see his glory and to abide in him. We ask this in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Look with me now, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, when God's Word uses the language of walking, He says, walk in the Spirit. And a lot of times we see this language of walking. God's Word is getting at the idea of living Like how we live, how we behave, how we think, how we go about our day and move forward in life. This is how we walk. But we we, we go and we walk and we live with the reality that we have two desires pulling us and they are warring against one another inside of us. You see, this hopefully helps explain to you the war that is going on in the heart of a Christian. Before the Holy Spirit came into your life, there was no war. Before the Holy Spirit came into your life, there was no struggle with sin. There was only surrendering to sin. Now, sure, someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they may bounce from sin to sin, depending on what is culturally acceptable and depending on what the authorities tell them they can and cannot do. But there was never really a struggle with sin. Church, we have to understand this, that a struggle with sin is actually a sign of the Spirit's work in your life. And one of the ways we walk by the Spirit is that we can be honest enough to struggle with sin and never surrender to sin, to keep fighting. You see, your freedom in Christ is a freedom that frees you to be honest enough to fight the sin that is in your life. The reason, and the reason you can do that is because of the good news of the gospel has freed you. It's it's proclaimed to you that in Christ, you are no longer under the condemnation for your sin. Look Look at verse 18. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Charles Spurgeon put it this way in reference to what this means to not be under the law. He says, we have it up on the screen, what is God's law now? It is not above a Christian, it is under a Christian. 
Some men hold God's law like a rod in terror over Christians and say, if you sin, you will be punished with it. It is not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. We are not under the law, but under grace. Law is the road which he guides us, not the rod which he drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. The law is good and excellent if it keep its place. And that's the problem that we have at times as Christians with the law. It's not kept in its proper place. We either want to throw it out or we want to hold it over people. But the law, we're no long, Christians are no longer under the law. The law is under them. And so because Christ has freed us from the condemnation of the law and justified us by grace through faith in him, we are freed to now go to war with our sinful desires because we are freed to acknowledge them. We are free to confess them and we are free to crucify them all because we are no longer condemned by them. And so in this war of our desires... Before we start walking through the list that Paul gives, showing us some of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, you just heard those long lists read. Before we even get to those lists, I want to share with you two aspects of what walking by the Spirit looks like if walking by the Spirit means we are no longer living under the condemnation of the law. If you are under Christ, you are no longer under the condemning power of the law, and therefore walking by the Spirit first looks like embracing the process, not the produce. Okay, walking by the Spirit looks like embracing the process, not the produce. I'm, I'm barely going to even get to the fruit of the Spirit this morning, which might surprise and disappoint some of you, but I want you to walk by the Spirit and embrace the process, not the produce. Now, this is a truth that is true in many areas of life. I've been coaching basketball this, this winter, and I've observed that everyone wants the produce. Everyone wants the outcome of winning games and scoring points. Everyone wants that. Everyone wants that. Even kids who clearly have never played, watched, or heard of basketball before their parents brought them to the gym, even those kids, they know enough to know they want to win the game and they want to score some points. But in order to get that fruit, the fruit of athletic success, you have to first really fall in love with and embrace the process that leads to that athletic success. You have to learn how to love to practice the game and watch the game and study the game. You have to love playing the game with your friends. You have to love finding your weaknesses and working on them until they become your strengths. And you see, church, everyone in here could look with me at verse 22 and look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, oh, I want that. You can look at people in here and we can see some aspects of the fruit growing here. We can see the joy and the peace and the patience that are developing and being produced in some people's lives. And we could say, oh, we want that. And who wouldn't want that? But if you try to simply embrace the produce and not the process, what that leads to is that that leads to you actually missing out on the produce altogether or getting a really weird, deformed version of it. 
For examples, uh, church kids. If you grew up in, in church, a lot of good blessings that come along with that. There's some dangers that come along with that as well. And so church kids, you've probably heard a, like a million sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I mean, you've, you, you know them. You've got them memorized. Uh, you just can't wait to get to Citigroup and share how fruit in the Greek is written in a singular, not a plural form, and it's one fruit. And you just can't wait to share that. And Citigroup, and I've maybe spoiled that for you. But listen, <laughs> if all you care about is embracing the produce and not the process, things are going to get weird in the end. And so what this looks like is for a church kid, it looks like them pursuing goodness, which they know is a, is a you know, part of the fruit of the Spirit, but they do it at the cost of honesty. They can't be honest about their lives because they're embracing, no, I know the fruit grows goodness. Or it looks like them trying to put on this characteristic of gentleness on display, all the while never dealing with their fits of anger that happen in their private life. And so what happens is these people are actually not walking by the Spirit, because walking by the Spirit means embracing the process publicly and privately, not just the produce. And the process that God has freed you for is to be able to struggle with your sin and not surrender to it. God has freed you to acknowledge your sin and confess your sin and crucify your sin because you are no longer condemned by it. And so walking by the Spirit means embracing the process, not the produce. Second thing that walking by the Spirit looks like, since you are no longer under the condemning power of the law, is it looks like the pursuit of consistency, not perfection consistency not perfection now here's where i want to be careful because every life coach and influencer says something very similar to this about how perfection is the enemy of progress and and all those things and listen i think a lot of what they're saying about the pursuit of perfection is true but it's true because it's rooted in the truth of the gospel and here's what i mean if christ has already perfectly kept the law and if his perfect righteousness has already been credited to me by grace through faith, then my desire for perfection can be satisfied in him. And I'm now free. I'm freed from the pursuit of perfection, and I'm freed now to pursue consistently walking with Christ, not perfectly walking with Christ. You see, when someone's not walking by the Spirit, they're pursuing perfection instead of consistency. And then when they slip up or they have a moment of weak faith or they have a lapse of judgment or they pursue a sinful desire, then many times what happens is they just spiral into more and more sin because, well, I already missed the goal of perfection, so I might as well just keep going down this path. This looks like when we sin, instead of quickly confessing and repenting of it, it looks like, well, I'm just going to try to sin my way out of this sin. Or when someone sins against us, instead of, instead of acknowledging it and working through that, we say, no, I'm going to sin against them, and maybe that sin plus a sin will work out in the end. But church, to walk by the Spirit is not to live a perfect life, but it is to live a consistent life. And there will be times as a Christian when you still fall into sin, and when you do, listen, you acknowledge it, you confess it, you crucify it, and you get up, and you keep going. You don't surrender to it. 
You don't blame others for it. You don't sit in your shame forever about it. You take ownership of it. You confess it. You crucify it. And you get up and you keep following Christ. Walking by the Spirit is a life pursuing consistency, not perfection. It's the person who can say, I didn't read my Bible and pray today like I know I should have. But by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm getting back into it tomorrow. It's the person who can say, man, I was really unloving and unkind to that person today. But by the grace of God and power of the Holy Spirit tomorrow, I'm going to go make it right with them. It's the person who can say, man, today I really lack some self-control with my entertainment choices. But by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go get some more accountability in my, in my life for tomorrow. Church, Christ has already obtained your perfection. Walking by the Spirit looks like the pursuit of consistency. You consistently crucifying your sin and connecting with Jesus. This is also such an important point because those who are pursuing perfection end up doing very little in the kingdom of God. They're afraid to ever start anything, lead anything, write anything, preach anything, teach anything. They're afraid to evangelize to anyone because what if they don't do it perfectly or they say the wrong thing or they say it the wrong way? They're too afraid to make any decisions in life because what if it's not the perfect decision and what happens is their perfectionism paralyzes them, and they have no idea what it means to actually walk by the Spirit, because they haven't gone anywhere or done anything with the Spirit. They've just been standing there. They've just been standing in the Spirit, all the while criticizing everyone else for imperfectly walking by the Spirit. But church, the command and the promise are to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. You are not under the condemnation of the law. Embrace the process, not the produce, and pursue consistency, not perfection. Now, the reason I took so long to get to verse 19 in our long list is because as we start in verse 19 reading through these lists, I want you to feel the freedom in Christ to be able to honestly face the sinful works of the flesh that Paul is going to list. This will be like holding a mirror up to our hearts, and God is going to show us the ways we have sinned and the ways we are currently sinning against him. This can be a bit painful. This can be a bit painful. But walking by the Spirit means you can be honest enough to face these, to acknowledge these, to confess these, and to crucify these, because you know in Christ you are no longer condemned by these. These are the works of the flesh, or maybe better understood, the, the weeds of the flesh in your life right now that are choking out the fruit of the Spirit. And we have to deal with these first for the Spirit to abundantly produce what He wants to produce in our lives. So the list of weeds of the flesh can be categorized in three parts, sexual sins, 
spiritual sins and social sins. The first three are sexual sins. Look at verse 9. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Sexual immorality is a term that describes any type of sexual activity outside of the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. This includes adultery. This includes fornication. This includes prostitution. This includes the use of pornography. Impurity is describing any type of uncleanness, especially used of sexual sins. And sensuality is is unrestrained sexual sin, not only engaging in it, but flaunting in it, indulging in it. Following the sexual sins are now the spiritual sins, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is the worship of any other God besides the one true God, the creator God, the most high God. And this happens when people worship and set up false gods through man-made idols or they set up idols in their own hearts. Sorcery is, is practicing witchcraft, which is essentially a desire to be in touch with the spiritual realm through other ways other than Christ and apart from the Holy Spirit. This includes the desire to go meet with psychics or mediums and contact the dead or the growing use of psychedelic drugs in order to have spiritual experiences. God doesn't tell us that those things are fake. He tells us those things are dangerous and sinful and that actually a spiritual experience apart from the Holy Spirit is a demonic experience. Now at this point, there might be some of you who are really like looking down on your brothers or sisters, can't believe they would struggle with these sexual sins or spiritual sins. And if that is you, buckle up for the social sins that are now coming your way. He goes on to list enmity, which is a hostility in the heart, a desire to show a a deep hatred towards someone, to be hostile towards someone goes on to list strife. This is someone who desires to quarrel. They're always in a conflict. They're always ready for a fight. They can't figure out the common denominator and all these conflicts they're a part of. Why does everyone want to fight? Surely they're not the problem. Goes on to list jealousy, a desire for what others have, fits of anger. This can look like hot anger or cold anger. Some of us are more prone to hot anger. Some of us are more prone to cold anger. Hot anger looks like the violent, angry rager who just blows up on people. Cold anger looks like the passive-aggressive person who gives people the cold shoulder, who gives people the silent treatment, whose speech is just laced with sarcasm. Goes on to list rivalries. This is a desire to, to get ahead in life at the expense of others dissensions and divisions, describing a desire to split people apart and divide people against one another, to put people into classes like the oppressed and the oppressors and have them war against each other. 21, envy is is a resentment towards people who have what you don't have or or you resent someone who who gets an opportunity you don't get. People who struggle with envy, they have no idea how to cheer on a teammate or be happy for a brother or sister. Goes on to list drunkenness and orgies, which describe the desire to become intoxicated with substances, whether alcohol or food or excessive feasting, leading to other sins as well. And then at the bottom of this list, just in case you feel like you got through that list feeling okay, He says, and things like these. 
He could go on. There's more to name. But you get the point. These are the works of the flesh. These are the weeds of the flesh. These are what are choking out the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And he gives a warning here. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before we all despair, the verb that he uses here is really getting at that it is those who make a practice of doing these things. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not as if after coming to Christ, if you slip up and commit a sin, then all of a sudden you aren't saved. But he's saying if you continue to make a practice of such things, if there is no real and honest struggle and fight with sin, if you've just surrendered to sin and there's no war going on, then yes, be warned. If only the desires of the flesh are leading you and there are no desires of the Spirit at work within you, you are not headed to a good place. Before a Christian, we know that we will inherit the kingdom of God in Christ. And we won't habitually and continually gratify the desires of the flesh and therefore remember the command and remember the promise, walk by the Spirit and you will not, you will most certainly not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, the question is, how do we walk by the Spirit when the weeds of the flesh rise up and feel like they're wrapping themselves around us? And the first place to start is to identify the weeds of the flesh that you are most prone to. So look, look through this list and ask the Spirit to show you, which, which of these am I most prone to? For some of you, it might be sexual sin. For others, it might be some form of idolatry or the worship of something or someone else other than Jesus, of pursuing some spiritual experiences apart from the Holy Spirit. For others, it might be envy and jealousy and anger and strife. The first thing to do is to ask the Spirit to show you what weeds are wrapping around your heart. The next thing to do is to try to discern what the underlying desire is that that weed of the flesh is trying to satisfy. Verse 24, if you skip down to verse 24, it says, we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. So listen, it's one thing to understand that you struggle with either sexual sin or envy. It's one thing to understand that. It's another thing to understand why you struggle with that. And that's where we sometimes, I think, get a little lazy and we don't actually dig a little deeper and try to understand why do we struggle with this particular sin? Can we not address the why? Yes, in this list, we see the what. We all can identify some things that we more commonly than not will struggle with, but why do we struggle with those things? For example, some of you struggle with sexual sin 
because you are longing for a joyful and meaningful connection with someone, but you've tried to take a shortcut. Others of you struggle because you want to feel more in control. You want to feel some power and respect. You want to feel accepted and loved. You want to escape the pain you've experienced. And you think just for a moment, a little bit of pleasure can numb that pain. But the problem is, you're pursuing those desires apart from Christ. The desires of the flesh want you to think that you can satisfy some of those desires apart from Christ, but it's not true. The Spirit desires for you to find satisfaction only in Christ. Some of you struggle with strife. You're you're quarrelsome. You're just a quarrelsome person. You're always looking for a fight because you have this underlying desire for justice. You're always trying to pursue justice, but you're pursuing it apart from Christ. And the Spirit wants you to look to Christ to have your justice desires satisfied. Because know this, justice without Christ equals hell. Hell will be the most just place in the universe. And when your heart is full of unforgiveness and no mercy and all justice, you are experiencing hell on earth. Some of you struggle with envy and jealousy and divisions and you desire glory, you you desire acceptance, and you desire to belong, and you hate it when it seems like others belong to some group more than you belong. You want to belong. That's your underlying desire. You want to belong. You want to know that you belong, and when you see others who seem like they're more belonging, you hate that and because you want to belong. You want to be connected. You want to be in the group. Ultimately, underneath the the desires of the flesh is a desire for something or someone else to save you and satisfy you other than Christ. But the Spirit desires for you to find salvation and satisfaction in Christ. And because we are not under the condemnation of the law, we don't have to hide sin. We don't have to blame others for sin. We don't have to shame ourselves or others for sin. We can face up to sin and go to war with sin. I've heard it said that if you ever come across a great white shark in the ocean, this is what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to try to swim away from it. But instead, if you want to survive, you face up to it and you swim right at it. And supposedly, because the shark is only used to things swimming away from it, like it kind of throws them off for a moment, you coming right at it, and he thinks, well, maybe this is someone I shouldn't mess with. Now, I've never tried that personally, so I'm not officially recommending that to you. If you find yourself in that situation, you do what seems best to you in that situation, okay? But here's what I do know. I have never seen someone outswim pornography in their own strength. 
I have never seen anyone be able to get away from jealousy in their own power. But I have seen victory over sin when people stop running from it, hiding from it, blaming others for it, or shaming themselves because of it, and instead face up to it, confess it to God, confess it to a brother or sister, and seek to humbly and patiently trust Christ to satisfy whatever underlying desire was propelling them and pushing them to that sin. Church, we must confess these weeds of the flesh and we must see them killed and crucified day by day. And when you do that, when you walk by the Spirit and you're consistently crucifying sin, what will happen in your life is that the Spirit will now be free and unhindered to produce what He wants to produce in you. When you stop killing the weeds in your heart and you just let them go wild, the Spirit doesn't leave, but He certainly does grieve. And He wants to be freed and unhindered to produce what He wants to produce in your heart. And so now look at what the Spirit desires to produce in you. I realize I didn't leave much time for this because these aren't things you produce. The Spirit does, and He knows how to do this. So here we go. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I know I kind of made a, a joke a little bit about the, the church kid uh, and the singular version of the word fruit. I'm sure many of you have heard sermons pointing out that, that in the Greek, this is a singular fruit instead of multiple fruits. And, and that may be true. Uh, this was actually one of the pet peeves of my, my Greek professor. Um, he wanted to point out that fruit, yes, it's written in a singular form, but in the Greek, it could be considered a collective noun, much like the word fruit in English could be referring to multiple fruits or a singular fruit. For example, I could say in English, uh, uh, this bowl of fruit is good, and I could be referring to multiple fruits or one fruit. I say all that to say I'm not sure from a Greek standpoint if we have to you know, totally put our lives on the line uh, making a big deal about this being a singular fruit versus plural fruit. But what is important, and what is important to emphasize in this, is that this fruit is produced by one Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit comes to you and fills you only one way, and that is be through being connected to the one vine who is Jesus Christ. And it is only through abiding in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this fruit is truly produced in someone. Oh yes, an unbeliever can try to love people. They can. An unbeliever can try to love people, but without being connected to Jesus, they'll change the very definition of the word. And they'll fall vastly short of the selfless and sacrificial love that Jesus loves us with. Yes, an unbeliever can try to have joy, but without being connected to Jesus, they won't be able to be like Jesus who endured hardships with the joy set before him. 
Yes, an unbeliever can try to have peace, but without being connected to Jesus, they'll never have peace with God. Yes, an unbeliever can try to have patience, but without being connected to Jesus, they'll, they'll try to go save and satisfy themselves with whatever they can find right now, unable to patiently wait on the Lord. Yes, an unbeliever can try to have kindness, but without being connected to Jesus, it won't be like the kindness of God, which is given to people to lead them to repentance. Yes, an unbeliever can try to have goodness, but without being connected to Jesus, they'll try to be something they've never known. For Jesus said, only God is good. Yes, an unbeliever can try to have faithfulness, but without being connected to Jesus, faithfulness will always give way to fearfulness at some point. Yes, an unbeliever can try to have gentleness, but without being connected to Jesus, they'll either have strength and no control, or they'll be weak with some control, but only Jesus is perfectly gentle, which means to be perfectly strong, but to have that strength perfectly under control. Yes, an unbeliever can try to have self-control, but without being connected to Jesus, they won't be able to control that desire they have to want to be God and control others. There's only one church. There's only one who perfectly produced the fruit of the Spirit while walking on earth in human flesh, and his name is Jesus. And the only way you have to be able to produce the fruit he produces is to be connected to him. He is the vine. We are the branches. Well, how do we stay connected to him? This is something we talk about a lot. We stay connected to God through spending time in his word, hearing his word, reading his word, praying through his word, through times of prayer, private prayer, public prayer, uh, prayer in, in, in small groups. We also stay connected to Jesus through his people. I mean, who is the tangible and physical expression of Jesus here on earth. It's the church. We're called the body of Christ. And I believe in times past, we made such a big push for people to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which I think is a good and important thing. But in doing that, I think we unintentionally undermined the importance of being connected to a local church the body of Christ. Yes, I believe a healthy, fruit-producing Christian is more than just being a part of the local church, but it's certainly not less than that. And how many people have been led astray and deceived and allowed the weeds of the flesh to choke out the fruit of the Spirit, all because they became conceited, like verse 25 warns us of. If you look down to verse 25, we're warned of this conceitedness how many people have disconnected themselves from the body of Christ in their conceit, thinking they didn't need a local church? Church, we need to be connected to Jesus. We need to be connected to his body. You can't go and muster up this fruit in your own strength. But you can walk by the Spirit. You can consistently crucify your sin and connect with Jesus. But there's something else here that you 
also have to believe if you want to experience the Spirit's fruit in your life. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Hear me, church. If you want to experience the Spirit's fruit in your life, you have to know and believe that you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Walking by the Spirit looks like reminding yourself of that truth every moment of every day. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. We gather together to remind one another, you belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. I mean, this is one of your underlying desires that the weeds of the flesh are trying to satisfy. You want to belong to something. You want to know. You belong. You want that affirmation. You want that security in your identity that you're connected to something or someone. And here it is, church. Here it is. Some of you, you've been in church your whole life been waiting for this moment today. That longing to belong, that longing in your heart that wants to belong, it was put into your heart by God so that you would one day know the glory of belonging to Jesus Christ. And think about all the sin you'd be freed from. Think about all that would no longer be pulling on your heart if you really believed and remembered that you belong to Jesus. Every day we wake up, we remind ourselves we belong to Jesus. And as ones who belong to Jesus, we learn to love the process, not just the produce. And in the life of a Christian, get this, the process is actually a person, and his name is Jesus. And we, every day, we must learn to love the process of connecting with Jesus. We must learn to, to, to love this. And we can think creatively about this. I mean, yes, I know we say, read the Bible and pray, but let's Think, think through what would be really enjoyable, how you could really fall in love with that. Maybe for some of you, it's you got, you got to get your word and get outside, get in creation, be in marvel. Look at the stars above or the, the, the clouds above you and just enjoy reading God's word and talking with him. Some of you, maybe this, this, you love music and you just need to listen to some good worship music that directs your heart to God and you need to sing and you need to dance before the Lord. And for some of you, you really enjoy that private alone time and you need to Find those times. Enjoy loving the process of connecting with Jesus. So, others of you, you really love being with people. You need to get a smaller group and that, who consistently gets together to connect with Jesus. But listen, this is the process, church. We have to learn to love, to crucify our sin, to confess our sin, and we need to learn to love to connect with Jesus. And so you do whatever you got to do to learn to love to confess and crucify your sin and connect with Jesus, all the while remembering we belong to Jesus. 
The process of walking by the Spirit is every day we face up to the sin that is biting at our ankles and hunting us down in the ocean to devour us, the weeds that are wrapping around our hearts, whatever image you got to have in your head to start to make war on some things, we must consistently confess and crucify this sin, reminding ourselves along the way that we belong to Jesus. People can get really caught up in confessing and crucifying sin and they lose sight of the fact that we belong to Jesus and things get really unhealthy. We confess sin, we crucify sin, all the while reminding ourselves that we belong to Jesus. Walking by the Spirit looks like being freed from the paralyzing effects of perfectionism and actually walking and not just standing in the Spirit as we remind ourselves we belong to Jesus. And walking by the Spirit looks like humbly and patiently trusting and waiting for Christ and his work to save us and satisfy us. I'll say that again, and I am closing with this. Walking by the Spirit looks like humbly and patiently trusting and waiting for Christ and his work to save us and satisfy us. Here's why I say humbly and patiently. First of all, I say humbly because verse 26 warns against conceit, and we're going to come back to that next time and we're in Galatians and address that a little bit more. But I also say patiently because here's what I know about killing sin and growing fruit. Crucifixions kill slowly, and fruit grows gradually. And therefore, we must be patient with ourselves and others in this process of crucifying sin and the Spirit growing its fruit in us. It takes humility and patience to trust Christ and his work to save us and satisfy every underlying desire we have. We do this walking by the Spirit consistently, not perfectly, consistently crucifying sin and connecting with Jesus so that the Spirit can bring forth his fruit in our lives, all for his, God's glory and our good. Let's pray.